0: In this episode of Looking at Lyme, we explore how Lyme disease and other infections can appear dramatically different in children. Over the past few decades, we have started to learn a lot more about how infections such as strep can cause a sudden onset of neurological and behavioral changes in children and adults. We welcome a world leader in this field to the podcast. Dr. Nancy O'Hara is a board certified pediatrician who specializes in treating neurodevelopmental disorders such as PANs, PANDAS, BGE, and other neurodevelopmental disorders. She is a leading trainer and mentor of clinicians in the United States and globally, educating medical professionals to recognize, diagnose, and treat these disorders.
1: Welcome to the podcast, Dr. O'Hara. Thank you so much. And it's really a pleasure to be here.
0: How did you become interested in working with patients with Lyme?
1: Well, I I happened to move to Lyme Central 30 years ago. So I live in Connecticut and have been dealing with it with patients and family members uh, ever since. But it was really when my son at age nine got bit by a Lyme positive tick the same time he got strep throat and devolved into seizure-like ticks that I really started to learn about it, join ILADS, uh, read the literature. And even then I uh, lost sight of one of the important um, co-infections that we see a lot in children, which is Bartonella. So when I found that in my son a few years later, I re-upped again. And uh with many of us, it's especially with Lyme, it's just constant learning. Um, so but that's how I initially got interested.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that's difficult to be a physician as a parent and uh trying to be involved in his care as well as uh you know learning more about it all the
1: time. Well, and I think many parents um have this same problem in that. Uh, A lot of doctors, at least allopathic doctors like myself, MDs, uh, do not believe in Lyme or do not understand or do not see it as a clinical diagnosis. So it's even harder for those parents who don't have the resources um, to be able to read and understand and get their child treated appropriately. Definitely.
0: Definitely. How, how does Lyme disease differ in how it presents in children and adults?
1: Well, one of the things in children is the, the terrible triad of Lyme, which is non-restorative sleep, cognitive impairments, and fatigue. And you may see the fatigue and brain fog, as I call it, in adults. Um, but But this is paramount in children, and often it gets treated as... Uh, ADHD or ADD or dyslexia or um, some type of executive function or learning problem, when at the root of it is tick-borne diseases. Now, in our practice, we we have a neurodevelopmental and neuropsychiatric consultative practice, so almost all of the children that we see have neuropsychiatric symptoms also, and we see a lot of anxiety. OCD and intrusive thoughts tics um as well as the sleep and cognitive impairments and fatigue and what are pans pandas and bge um so i i recently wrote a book on it uh, <laughs> uh, demystifying pans pandas Great. Um, And, uh, you know, in the 1990s, Sue Sweeto, who was the grandmother of pandas, found that some children had an abrupt onset of OCD, tics, anxiety, and other symptoms shortly after a strep infection. So she coined the phrase pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorders associated with strep, i.e. pandas, at that time. That was a very controversial uh, acronym. And I think if if she had a greater ego, she would have called it Sweeto disease and it wouldn't be so uh, mm. controversial at this point. Right. <laughs> um, but in 2012, 30 clinicians got together to try to make it less controversial. And they realized that there were other things that triggered this abrupt onset of neuropsychiatric syndromes. So that's where PANS, Pediatric Abrupts Onset Neuropsychiatric Syndrome, came to be. Um, and that included mycoplasma, viruses, and Lyme. Now, even doctors that are trained in those diseases don't really look for Lyme, Lyme, and co-infections. And that's where, together with mold, you can have a much more subacute or indolent presentation um, with Lyme, Bart- you know, borrelia, Bartonella, Babesia, relapsing fever, etc. Um, and then BGE uh, is uh the abbreviation for basal ganglia encephalitis, which is what really happens. So you have something that triggers. Uh, an infection that triggers this. And rather than the antibodies or the immune system proteins attacking the germ, strep, for example, it instead attacks the brain and very specifically the basal ganglia within the brain, where the movement center, the OCD sort of center, the anxiety center is all located. And there's inflammation or encephalitis, inflammation of the brain in that area. So why I, I use that acronym also is because our governing body, the American Academy of Pediatrics, has not yet decided whether it's going to believe in PANS and PANDAS. And the BGE is just much more descriptive of what's going on in many of these children.
0: Now, it sounds like uh, the sudden onset is certainly a part of it. And how do you go about diagnosing PANS or PANDAS?
1: It's really a clinical diagnosis. and I think that's so what's so hard for physicians today. I think our naturopaths, our nurses, um some of our our therapists understand it and and uh, discuss it with parents much better than MDs because we as MDs are very dependent upon tests. Um, mm-hmm. and we want to test to prove, that were right. right or not, and right. pans and pandas like Lyme is a clinical diagnosis, so it's based on symptoms. So if I hear that a child um, had was fine on February twelfth, and all of a sudden February fifteenth wouldn't leave mom's side, or started having tics, or started having handwriting deterioration, or sleep disturbances, or urinary symptoms. Those are all classic signs of pans or pandas. And I'll start to then look at, well, what happened six weeks ago? Oh, well, Johnny had strep or Johnny's sister had mycoplasma or grandpa was in the hospital or we were out in the woods and they got bit by this tick. And that's how I diagnose it and start treating it long before we see any positive tests. Mm -hmm. Now, when we look at tests The most commonly positive are the inflammatory markers like ANA, anti-nuclear antibody, CRP, C-reactive protein. Those Mm -hmm. in our practice, 60% of children with PANS or PANDAS will have um, uh, increased ANA levels, but their strep titers will be totally normal.
0: Hmm, Interesting. Now with the clinical diagnosis too, it really does point to... um, the need for continuity of care and actually having family physicians. And, you know, I mean, I think about children in the foster care system and, you know, a lot of those kids don't even have the same person caring for them at home, let alone the same physician looking out for their health needs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And one of the resources that in Connecticut we really tapped into were the nurses, And, you know, many years ago, Sue Sweeto and I were on a panel, a PANDAS panel here in in Connecticut, and we wanted to get a survey just to understanding what people knew about PANS, PANDAS, Lyme, et cetera. And the governing bodies for neurologists, psychiatrists, psychologists would not even allow their practitioners to fill out a survey. The best um, responses we got were from school nurses. So we started going to all the schools and lecturing to the nurses, providing pamphlets, providing information. And I still think nurses are a great resource because they're on the front lines with the kids and the teachers may come to them and say, you know, Jesse was fine yesterday, but all of a sudden today, she's like this, what do you think's going on? And if the nurse has heard about it, it's something that, that, that they can then go back to the family about or the family physician.
0: Mm-hmm. And how else is the immune system involved? I know you mentioned some of the inflammatory markers. How, how else does the immune system kick into
1: action? <laughs> so I think the the biggest thing, the biggest misnomer with any of these diseases is that it's just an infection. It's it's a full body uh, disease and there can be immunodeficiency, 30% of the children will have a lack of ability to build up appropriate antibodies. So again, if you're doing antibody testing for Lyme, Lyme co-infections, strep, you may well miss those children. So you have to look for that. Um, The second thing is in addition to inflammation, We know with strep specifically that the T cell population, particularly TH17, is disturbed. And that allows an opening of the blood-brain barrier. And that's what's different in children and adults. Mm -hmm. So in children, that blood-brain barrier is still open. And everything we have in our world it causes toxicity and causes our children to not be as healthy, whether it be their diets or their environments or their home situation, will allow that blood-brain barrier to stay more open. But these strep antibodies affect that Th17 cells and so allow more entry of these proteins into the brain and more brain symptoms.
0: Yeah, that was one of my questions: Is do you do children respond differently to treatment than adults?
1: <laughs> yeah, and 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 yes, I think so. First of all, I became a pediatrician because I don't really like adults. You were excluded, <laughs> but you know, I, I I do much prefer to treat children yeah. because one, um, the the diseases can't have been around there that long. Mm-hmm. Although we can never forget that, particularly with Lyme and Lyme co infections, there's gestational um, uh, lime that we need to look for in our children. Um, and, uh, I think that with that blood brain barrier closing, we have a window of opportunity where we can treat these children. If we find them very quickly, we can treat them very quickly, but if it's more chronic because we've missed it and this is the second or third iteration or the disease has become much more chronic, It's still quicker to treat, but it's always a three-pronged approach. Treating the underlying trigger, strep, mycoplasma, Lyme, Bartonella, uh, Babesia, et cetera, viruses, COVID included. Um, Treating the immune system, providing immune support as well as anti-inflammatories, and then treating the symptoms. I always look at what is the symptom that is most affecting this family. It may be that nobody's sleeping. Well, then that's the first symptom I'm going to treat. It may be that the ticks are just out of control. Then that's the first symptom I'm going to treat. But it's always a three-pronged approach. And if we forget all three and we're just putting an antibiotic on, we're not going to help the child or, in my opinion, the adult get better.
0: Hmm. Now you did mention gestational Lyme. Uh, are you seeing many more cases of that? Um,
1: you know, and I always have to to think: Am I looking for it more? And that's why right. I'm seeing it more. Right. But yes, I definitely am. You know, when I started my career 30 years ago um, as an integrative or functional medicine physician. I was seeing mainly children with autism. I used to Mm -hmm. teach children with autism before I went to medical school, mainly because I was a lousy lousy teacher and medical school was a lot easier. (laughs) But I, I, um, at that point, thought, well, here's autism and here's Lyme and they're overlapping Venn diagrams, but there's, there's not much overlap. Um, but now I think that overlap is much greater. So in every child that comes in with autism or a neurodevelopmental problem, um, or even PANS or PANDAS, I will ask about the maternal history, where they lived. Is there somebody in the family with Lyme? Certainly have they ever been treated with Lyme? And for how long? And are we sure it was fully treated? And mm-hmm. and I will be looking for it more. So I am definitely seeing it a lot more.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And how about Bartonella? Are you seeing a lot of that in pediatric patients?
1: So we're just doing a study on that in our practice. And of of 600 and I believe 76 children in our practice with autoimmune encephalitis, 292, it's 42% of Bartonella. Wow. 42%. That's high. Very high. And we are looking for it. So we do have a skewed population.
0: Right. But that does speak to the importance of
1: looking for it as a co-infection. Absolutely. And in those children, we are looking for and asking about stretch marks, stretch marks that don't follow dermal lines or in odd places um, and that blanch. Those are children that it's not weight gain. It's not adrenal stress. We should be looking for Bartonella. We're looking for joint pains, but specifically heel and foot pain, or kids that are bunching up their socks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We're looking for that daily flare. So the child that comes in with pans, let's say, and they think it's caused by mycoplasma, but the, they're saying the child is flaring every day. Every day they're 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 bad, and there's no remittance. There's no waxing and waning. That's usually bartonella, and then rage is usually bartonella. Okay. So we'll we'll look for it and in a lot of cases we'll treat it. One of the reasons in my practice that azithromycin is is one of the first antibiotics used is because it gets mycoplasma, it it in our area strep is sensitive to it and it's one of the antibiotics that can be used for bartonella. And so I'll start there before I even get any testing and then move on from there.
0: Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask you a little more about your treatment. I know you've touched on it speaking about, you know, zithromycin, and, um, but can you tell us a little bit about, I know that you, you use both, um, pharmaceuticals and herbal
1: treatments as well. Absolutely. Uh, you know, um, often I will start with antibiotics, especially if it's an acute presentation or a severe or significant presentation, but then I will very quickly try to move them to herbals. Now, some of our children need antibiotics, but I think parents have to understand that if they're just using doxycycline, for instance, for Borrelia, Bartonella, as in my son, and many of our patients may be in the background, or as we're hearing much more, Babesia is becoming much more prevalent. And we're seeing Babesia in our area to a much greater degree. Uh, 40% of the ticks in our area carry Babesia. Oh wow! Um, 30% carry Borrelia and Bartonella. So it's even more prevalent in Connecticut and in the tri-state area here in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, than Borrelia or Bartonella. Mm-hmm. So that's why we use herbals. We don't want children on three, four antibiotics. And many of them don't have just Borrelia. They have Borrelia, Bartonella and Babesia or two of those three or relapsing fever. So we like adding herbals and leaving herbals in for quite a long period of time. We used to say months, and and often it's sometimes years, up to two years. So one of our favorite herbals is Japanese knotweed. It naturally has resveratrol in it, which is a wonderful antioxidant and anti-inflammatory. Cryptolepis is another wonderful herb for Borrelia, Bartonella, and Babesia. And in fact, most the most recent research papers show that cryptolepis was better um, in vitro than doxycycline in treating Borrelia. Um, we also look at a lot of other herbs, Artemisia for parasites, Babesia, um, uh, Hattunia for Bartonella, um, as well as uh, Borrelia. Um, Kumanda. There are many, and we individualize it to each child. And then we check back in. You know, we start low. You know, with children, uh-huh. we may start with a drop and build right. up slowly. Um, and then we, we will do it for a cycle or two and see how they're doing and how they're able to increase it. If they're having bad reactions, that's a Herxheimer. That's a die-off reaction. And that's something that I have to remind parents that's the good, bad, or the bad, good. I never know which way to say it, but it means that it's working. <laughs> yes. And we may need to back off and add some more binders or or supportive yeah. interventions, but we're on the right track. If if they're getting better, great. But if we're seeing no improvement, then we need to switch up the herbs and and try things differently. Or we need may need to pulse some, use a couple for, for one week and then a couple of different ones for another week. And along those lines, I want to mention that, that you know, in many of our children and adults with more chronic infections, certainly those that have also had COVID, we need to think about parasites. Mm-hmm. And if a child is worsening around the full moon, the few days before, the day of, the couple of days after, then we need to think about parasites either as another co-infection or our children with... Um, Borrelia, Bartonella, or especially Babesia may be housed in parasites, and we need to treat those. And and all of us, uh, as women especially, used to cycle around the moon cycles, Um, but our our organisms like parasites still do. So that's why the symptoms get worse around the moon cycles, and we want to make sure we're using something like artemisia or mimosa pudica or black walnut wormwood around those time in addition to the other herbs that we're using.
0: Oh, it's so fascinating. Where can physicians learn more about treating pans and pandas? I know you've been involved with both MAPS and ILADS. If you can tell our listeners about that.
1: Absolutely. I think those are both wonderful groups, and both of which I'm members for and and speaking this fall. Uh, MAPS is Medical Academy of Pediatric Special Needs. We just did a plenary on Lyme, uh, and I lecture quite frequently there on PANS, PANDAS, Uh, going to be doing case studies on that at the upcoming conference in Scottsdale, Arizona in September, September 7th through 9th. And then a little bit closer uh, to to Toronto and and Canada Mm -hmm. is Boston, where ILADS will be having their annual conference in October. Uh, I believe the dates are October 21st through 23rd in Boston. And we've just gotten word today that they are adding a pediatric arm together with MAPS Um, And I will be speaking there specifically about PANS, PANDAS, and particularly Bartonella, as we've seen it affect many of the kids in our practice. So those are two great places for practitioners of all types to get trained. Naturopaths, DOs, MDs, nurses, nurse practitioners, PAs, chiropractors, and I highly recommend it. Um, In addition to that, if you want to do more not going to conferences, I do have... A membership on my website. um, And that's on your own time. Six different lectures online, pans, pandas, pots, um, mold, uh, and lots of case studies, and 30 different short two to four minute videos on functional medicine ways to treat these children. And then starting next month, I'll be having uh, monthly recorded sessions on different topics that practitioners have said they want to hear more about. Sleep, getting kids to take herbals and other supplements, constipation, and all of those infections that I talked about. Oh,
0: that's so fabulous. That's really wonderful news. Because one of the things I wanted to ask you about, I get a lot of panic calls from parents when they find a tick embedded on their baby or their child. Uh, What advice do you give to a parent in an acute situation like that? Because they're always in a panic. I mean, I've never met any that weren't and I get it. Um, but how can you just like assure them that everything's going to be okay? Or I
1: mean, <laughs> not that you can do that, but exactly. I, I mean, I do um, teach parents how to remove ticks successfully, and I think that is important. That's pretty important skill to have. Yeah, and I do like to keep the tick. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, in our area at least, we can send the tick to the public health department and get it tested. Because if only 30% have Lyme spirochetes, then 70% are going to be clean and going to be safe. Right. You do want to clean the area. Um, and I do like to topically put on Arnica, for example, and an antimicrobial um, uh, ointment, you know, even Bactroban or or Bacitracin or something like that. Our homeopathic colleagues would use leadum, which is very safe. Um, And, you know, Japanese knotweed can be a very safe herbal to add while you're waiting to see while that tick is tested. But again, if only 30 to 40% of the ticks are positive, you don't have to jump on it, but you do want to watch over the next six weeks if there are any symptoms
0: malaise,
1: flu-like symptoms in the summertime, and jump on that. I am not a fan of one day of doxycycline, which is something that Mm -hmm. um, I think can decrease our ability to see symptoms later and Mm -hmm. also decrease our ability to test well. And that is something, at least here, that a lot of our pediatricians and practitioners recommend. So we do recommend if you're going to start treatment, doing it much longer. But for example, one of the people in our office just had this happen to their child and they went to their pediatrician abruptly and the pediatrician put them on one day of doxycycline and then they called me the next day and I said, well, let's add 30 days of Japanese knotweed just to make sure. And I Mm -hmm. think that is very safe.
0: Mm -hmm. Now for the parents that are doing the marathon of caring for a chronically ill child, what advice do you have for those parents? Because I know you went through that yourself.
1: Yeah. I I think it's very important, number one, to take the advice of putting your oxygen mask on first. Mm -hmm. If you're not taking care of yourself, you can't take care of your child. So remember to breathe, take walks, do yoga, whatever you need to do and make sure you are sleeping and not up at two in the morning reading everything. Save it for, (laughs) for, for, you know, other hours of the day. Right. I think the second thing is find a practitioner, find a group like yourselves, um, like other groups. If your child has autism, NAA or TACA, if your child has has um, Lime, Aspire.care is a great one for pans and pandas. Um, many great organizations to find like minded parents and and people that understand this disease, to find a group of, of people that understand. But I also think it's a good idea to find a practitioner that understands. My Absolutely. mentor was Dr. Sidney Baker, who is the grandfather of functional medicine. And the thing that he was taught and that he always taught me is if you listen, they will come. And secondly, have we done enough for this child?
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I always say the best um instrument we have in our office is a tissue box because you know, so many of these parents have been fighting so hard just to get somebody to listen and to understand what they're going through right yeah uh, it, you know it, it, that tissue box is much more important than my stethoscope or my my otoscope or anything else. Mm-hmm. And you need to find those practitioners and you can treat this disease with lots of different types of of practitioners, as I've mentioned several times. So find somebody that's really going to listen.
0: Now, it's a family affair, unfortunately, um, especially when it gets to the chronic level. Do you ever offer any advice to the
1: siblings? Absolutely. And behind me is also my colleague's book, Super Sam and the Fight Against Pans and Pandas. She wrote that for siblings of children with pans and pandas, because I think that's one of the things and both of these are available on Amazon. I do think that's one of the things that our families deal with a lot and and it and to no fault of the parents but the other sibling gets left behind. Right. And yeah. then starts to act out. Um and I think we have to keep in mind that if if we are lucky enough to have two parents involved that that and we have other children that the other children get time with one parent while the other parent is trying mm-hmm. to to help the index child mm-hmm. um and that we we help that child to understand this is not johnny or sam as in dr wells's book this is the disease you know he's not being mean to you because you're right. bad or he's bad he he's sick you know yeah. and there's lots of great documentaries out there now you know i'm not crazy i'm sick is Mm -hmm. one that that, that's just out there right now and helping children by helping them read a book like that or helping them see something or be part of sibling groups you know we have a lot of sibling groups in our practice where it's the siblings that all get together and talk about how hard it is to have a sibling with autism or lyme or pans or pandas oh
0: that's really great advice thank you we'll have to have a look at that book um uh, are you excited about any emerging
1: research or treatments? Well, I have to say I I, I get a this is my passion, you know I, I, I my husband always is complaining that I'm working seven days a week but but it's okay <laughs> if I take a few day a few hours every day just to read the latest research. You know, there are new antibiotics um, coming out all the time that may be helpful. There are a lot of new antivirals and not just in in um, medications, but in nutraceuticals and and uh, herbals. Um, And I also look at other therapeutic approaches because I think, you know, especially with children, we can't put too much in and we can't get them to take everything. You know, taste is a factor, you know, Um, and and so I'm always looking at um, craniosacral, uh, uh, atlas orthogonal chiropractic that helps to drain the lymphatic system, lymphatic massage, um, sauna. Um, Epsom salts baths, those, are you know, Epsom bath has been around for, you know, eons, but mm, yeah. it's still a tried and true. But yes, I think there are a lot of emerging modalities um, and um, sought treatments, um, ozone treatments, um, and find a qualified practitioner in your area to ask about those sort of things as adjuncts. But one quick um, caveat to that is that um, another practitioner that worked with Dr. Baker always taught me, you've got to go in the door, not a window. And Mm -hmm. I think we're always trying to look for the latest and greatest and the next best thing, right? Building the foundation is really important. And if you're not building that foundation with good nutraceuticals and herbals and diet, then that big ticket item is not going to work. Um, So don't, you know, spend your last dollar on IVIG or SOT treatment or ozone treatment Mm -hmm. if you haven't built that foundation and tried everything else first.
0: Totally. Now, you know what? I have one more question for you that I didn't write down, but I do want to ask you, you, do you notice when children are starting to go into puberty and their hormones are changing, do you notice, is that sometimes a time where children will have an onset of these
1: symptoms? Absolutely. Um, and I think that at adolescence, we saw that a lot first in our children with autism, um, 30% will develop seizures at that time. Um, but wow. if the child is not fully treated for Lyme, PANS, or PANDAS, that they got pre-adolescence at that pubertal stage, which is getting mm-hmm. younger and younger every day, these, you know, and, and that goes to the diet piece again, but um, uh, they will get worse at that time. And so it is really important to treat the children before that time, because hormonal changes, adrenal stress, the stress of being a young adolescent, a tween or young teen, um, all of those things can exacerbate our underlying problems.
0: Absolutely. I'm glad I asked you. (laughs) Yeah. And do you have any other final closing comments for our listeners?
1: Well, I, I did skirt around diet a couple of times. And I do want to say that that I do think diet is very important. I, I was uh, once called the diet doctor because everybody knew that they couldn't walk in the door without talking about it and making at least one change. And I think that that diet is the foundation of an anti-inflammatory regimen. You don't mm-hmm. have to do every restricted diet in the book. It's really just about choosing good whole foods and eating food, not junk. There is no such thing as junk food. It's either junk or it's food. And having (laughs) kids have more protein, more vegetables, more good oils, and less sugars and carbohydrates will help them feel better. And finding one thing, if the child is eating all dairy, I'll try to pull that out. If the child is having all sugars and carbs, I'll try to at least add a protein when they're having it. And so you can start very inexpensively. So I, I, the last thing I want to say for parents is don't get overwhelmed by this. Try to do the next right thing. You may take one step forward and two steps back, but keep trying, keep working, keep finding like-minded individuals and practitioners who will listen, and you can get better. There is hope. It's not false hope but it does work. And there are many children in my practice who have been dealing with this for years that are now healthy and thriving. And it is possible. And my son back that nine-year-old that I missed the Bartonella and then I had to treat mold and then I had to treat Borrelia again. And then I had to treat COVID and everything else. (laughs) He's now thriving in a a PhD chemistry program. So
0: that's amazing. That's great. There's hope
1: for all our kids. So.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. And I just really appreciate you teaching parents and teaching other healthcare workers um, how to how to treat this and how to understand the diagnosis.
1: No problem. It's my pleasure. And thanks for doing this yourself. What a great conversation about caring
0: for our kids. I learned so much about pans and pandas and it's just so important to recognize that sudden onset of changes and symptoms and behavior. And now we know there's a lot of resources out there for further learning and training. Have fun in your adventures and stay safe in the outdoors.